0: What is up awesome people of the internet? And welcome to episode two of Women's Basketball Weekly, your weekly source for all things women's basketball. Join me every Monday at 6 p.m. right here on YouTube for a new episode. Now y'all, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, The sky have a new head coach. We talk about how the 1976 women's Olympic team paved the way for today's stars. Uh, We give you a couple of updates on the NCAA, and I will share with you the lowdown of EuroLeague and their history for WNBA super teams. And before we get into it, uh, if you can please give me an assist by hitting that like button, I would greatly appreciate it. And it kind of helps give more people uh, the opportunity to watch this video. It helps the algorithm. So please pop um, that like button, give me an assist uh, and let's get into it. All right, starting with the Chicago Sky. Now, Sky fans rejoice because we finally have a new head coach. WNBA legend and Hall of Famer Teresa Witherspoon has become the Sky's newest coach. And just do a quick recap of how we got here. In July of this year, James Wade, the Sky's then head coach and GM, decided to leave the team to become an assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors. Since the Sky was in the middle of the season the team decided to elevate Emery Vatansever, who was the assistant coach at the time, uh, to interim head coach and general manager for the remainder of the season. When the season ended, uh, the team announced that they were not retaining Emory and announced that they were splitting the head coach and GM manager roles, which is something that most teams in the WNBA has, have already adopted that. And now the Sky have a new head coach, uh, with Teaspoon filling that role and becoming the Sky's eighth head coach in franchise history. And guys, as a Sky fan myself, uh, this news is exactly what I wanted. If you remember, uh, the Talking Sky with Mom podcast, me and my mom actually talked about this possibly happening. Because Before I found out about, um, them interviewing her, I was like, my goal for the Chicago Sky would be to get Teaspoon because Mm -hmm. I I think she's just great. To to me, that's the only person on my list
1: of potential coaches is Teaspoon. Now, do you think that Dwayne Wade would have an influence as to who that new coach is going to be?
0: Possibly, yeah, possibly. And I think think if he had a vote, he'd probably put his money on Teaspoon also. And with this news, Teresa Witherspoon is now one of seven former players who now serve as head coaches for the WNBA, which is a very, very cool thing to see. You have Sandy Brondello, who is the head coach of the New York Liberty. She played in the WNBA from 1998 to 2003 for the Detroit Shock, Miami Soul, and Seattle Storm. You have Las Vegas head coach uh, Becky Hammond, who played in the league from 1999 to 2014. She played for the New York Liberty and the San Antonio Silver Stars. Atlanta Dream head coach Tanisha Wright played in the league from 2005 to 2019, where she played for Seattle, New York, and did a brief stint with the Minnesota Lynx. Indiana Fever head coach Stephanie White played in the league from 1999 to 2004, and she played for the Charlotte Sting and the Indiana Fever. Seattle Storm head coach Noelle Quinn played in the league from 2007 2007 to 2018, where she played for a bunch of teams, the Minnesota Lynx, LA Sparks, Washington Mystics, Seattle Storm, and the Phoenix Mercury. Phoenix Mercury head coach Nikki Blue played in the league from 2006 to 2010. She played for the Washington Mystics and the New York Liberty. And now we have Teresa Weatherspoon joining the Sky. She was an inaugural player for the Liberty playing with them from 1997 to 2003 and then finishing up her career as a spark in 2004. Now I do plan on doing a in the history books about Teaspoon in the future. uh, That is Teaspoon the player. But for now, I just want to give you a uh, general synopsis of who she was as a player. She was very, very good. That's your synopsis. She was a five-time WNBA All-Star starter. She was a four-time All-WNBA Second Team player, two-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year, and she was named to the WNBA's Top 15 list. Uh, There's a lot of other stuff uh, that Teresa Witherspoon has done, including a very important shot in New York Liberty history. Um, But I'll talk about that in another episode. Uh, But let's kind of talk about Teaspoon as the coach. So Teresa Weatherspoon uh, began her coaching career uh, with the American Basketball Association in 2007 when she coached the Westchester Phantoms. Uh, Then she decided to return to her alma mater, Louisiana Tech, as a coach. Uh, She became the head coach uh, from 2009 to 2014. And during that time, uh, she coached the team to a record of 99 wins and 71 losses. They ended up making it to the NCAA tournament twice. They won the WAC tournament, and they also won the WAC regular season championship twice. She was later hired by the New Orleans Pelicans of the NBA in 2019, uh, where she uh, originally served as the player development coach. She was later promoted to the assistant coach role in 2020, and she stayed in that position until June of 2023 when the Pelicans decided to release Teaspoon. During her time with the Pelicans, she was most known for her connection with Zion Williamson.
2: Uh, we had a moment last season um, where I was leaving the arena, and she asked me, am I all right? And usually I just... Brush it off like, yeah, I'm straight. Mm, I'm just going. To, I'm just going home. But it, I just trust teaspoons so much with like opening up. I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I am not okay. <clears throat> and her response wasn't. Her first response wasn't words. She cried for me. She literally just cried for me, and I'm. I remember just trying to take that moment and like. Have somebody special on my corner. She really does care about me, and the feeling is mutual. That's that's my big sister. Uh, she was there and stayed connected with me through the off season. Um, that's just my big sister. We have a special bond.
0: Now that it's official that she is joining the Sky, Teresa Witherspoon has a lot of work cut out for her. Um, she has to try to get the Sky back to a WNBA championship. And I know that she is up for this task. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at Teaspoon's journey as a player um, and you see her journey as a coach, you can see and tell that she is very motivated to prove others wrong. And she's very motivated to make an impact on others. And it really resonates. It resonated with Zion Williamson. It resonated with, Uh, the players at Louisiana Tech. And I also believe it will resonate with the Chicago sky. In a way, she kind of reminds me of Deion Sanders, um, a former athlete who was dominant in their time and is now a head coach that has the heart and patience to help develop the next level of superstars. And also someone who is a fantastic storyteller. So
2: every day that I lay down and I go to bed or I get on my knees and I'm praying, I have to ask myself, I know I did something great for myself in the day. But did I do something great
1: for someone
0: else? <laughs> you have to ask yourself
1: that every single day that you live
2: this life. Are you impacting the lives of other people. So I'm praying that the position that I hold tells people that you can too.
1: Because this life we live, you guys, is only a freaking minute. You got to think that it's only a minute.
2: It's just 60 seconds in it. What are you doing with the minute? The minute? I'm not trying to get to an hour. I'm talking about the minute.
0: What are you doing in the minute that you have in this life?
1: I hope that every day you get up, your feet hit the ground. They know you up because
3: you're about to grind every single minute that you have.
0: Teresa Weatherspoon is the right person for the Chicago Sky job. And it is for sure going to take some time for her to get her bearings and and to and to really start implementing what she wants. Uh, but within three to four years, I think we can expect to see the sky uh, as a team that is set to compete for a WNBA championship. Uh, she's going to bring mental toughness. She's going to bring some fortitude to this team. And she's been in the league in the past. Uh, she's a player who who has a legacy in the WNBA. And she's gonna be able to bring that to the table as well. After being named the head coach of the Chicago Sky, Teaspoon said, I am excited to be a part of the Chicago Sky family. To be the leader as head coach of an organization in a city with so much history and culture is a dream come true. The things that we are about to do as a team, a business, and in the community will be rooted in excitement, excellence, and hard work. I am thankful to the entire Chicago organization for going through this process and selecting me. I can't wait to get to work. So yeah. What do y'all think about Teresa Witherspoon going to the Chicago sky? Let me know in the comments below. Um, and at the time of this video, uh, recording the sky have not announced who their new GM is. Uh, but most likely I think it's going to be someone internal. Um, or it's going to be someone, uh, who has been with the sky in the past. I think it's smart for the sky to bring in a teaspoon first. So she can kind of map out her vision for where she sees the team going. Um, and then they can choose a GM that can work to execute that vision. Um, I think normally you'd want to hire your GM first and then the head coach later, uh, but I think in this particular instance, I think it's best for Teaspoon to kind of weigh in possibly on the GM uh, role so that that way this guy can know that that GM is going to be able to execute and get the players that uh, Teaspoon needs to, to, to make stuff happen. All right, guys, that was your WNBA update for this week. Now it's time for In the History Books, where we celebrate women's basketball's past. And for this episode, we're gonna talk about the 1976 US Women's Olympic team. And you may be wondering, why are we talking about the 1976 Olympics team? You weren't even born at that time. Yeah, I wasn't born. However, I love history. And in order to properly celebrate the current crop of players like Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, Anissa Morrow, and others, you have to acknowledge the generation of women who came before them and paved the way for women to make money playing basketball in America. And that really is what the 1976 U.S. Women's Olympic team did. They paved the way. Uh, 1976 was the first ever Olympic Games that featured women's basketball players. Uh, It was the first time that the best women in the entire world took the stage to compete against each other. Um, and Team USA was ready. They were ready to leave their mark. The team was led by Hall of Fame coaches Billy Moore and Sue Gunter. And the 12-woman roster included co-captains Julian Simpson and Patricia Head, aka future Hall of Famer Pat Summit, Cindy Brogdon, Nancy Dunkel, Charlotte Lewis, Nancy Lieberman, Gail Marquis. Ann Myers Drysdale, Louisa Harris, Marianne O'Connor, Patricia Roberts, and Susan Rodericks. And I'm sure you've heard of some of those names before. Yes, Pat Summit was on the 1976 women's basketball team. Uh, she then went on to have a legendary career as the head coach for Tennessee. Um, but don't forget, she was a basketball force to be reckoned with in her own right. Same thing for Nancy Lieberman. Before she became a basketball commentator and big three coach, uh, she was a really good basketball player who played on the 1976 team. Also, Ann Myers Drysdale, who is now the vice president and one of the commentators uh, for the Phoenix Mercury, she was on this team as well. The 12 ladies who made up this Olympic team arrived in Montreal and didn't go to nice hotels. They instead went to a crammed, two-bedroom flat, to sleep in bunk beds. But what they would do over the course of five games would change the women's game forever. Now, it wasn't like the Americans were favorites to win in this Olympics. They weren't at all, by any stretch of the imagination. Here's what head coach Beth Moore had to say about this team.
3: What did it take for you guys to get a silver medal? Well, we, uh, as I said, first of all, we had to qualify because we had not finished higher than eighth in, in the, the, the qualifying things to get into Montreal. And we lost the opening round to uh, Japan and uh, which was a, probably the biggest disappointment. And one of the biggest disappointments in my uh, career internationally was to lose that first game. Cause I felt like that that was a team game that we should have won, but we didn't. But much to their credit, we bounced back. We brought ourselves back to where um, we were able to, to play then and have a chance to uh, medal, and they knew what was they knew what was at stake. They responded so well, and they won, and and it it was a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, the Soviet Union, you know, still was by far the dominant team, but I think it gave us a first-hand look at okay, this is where this is where we have to get as a country if we want to be the best.
0: The Americans would go on to win three out of five games to secure the silver medal for the United States. The team was led in points and rebounding by Lucia Harris, whose name might also be familiar. Lucia scored the first points ever in a women's Olympic basketball game. Japan,
1: the very first game, they shot the first basket. (laughs) But they missed. Came back down the court, Ann Myers, passed me the ball. I shot it and made it the first basket in the history of Olympic women's basketball and Ann Meyer said that's history I said oh yeah <laughs> maybe that is history <laughs>
0: and after the Olympics was over Lucy became the first and only woman ever drafted to the NBA she was drafted to the New Orleans Jazz, uh, the precursor to the Utah Jazz, in 1977 in the seventh round as the 137th overall pick. And this was an opportunity that she ultimately turned down.
1: Phone ring, someone from New Orleans Jazz, calling, looking for Lucy. We want you to come and try out for the team. I had already decided to start a family. I just thought it was a publicity start. And I felt like I didn't think I was good enough. Competing against a woman, yes. It's a different story, competing against a man. So I decided not to go. I said no to
0: the nba this team won silver and also won
3: america's heart the what you would call what are now called the power five conferences we're really not putting in, in much emphasis on women's basketball and i think the start of that was after montreal it we, it we kind of then we had that it was you know we were four years into title nine so we had title IX enacted we had Montreal in the Olympics. The Olympics became a springboard. Pretty soon, then the major colleges started saying, "Hey, you know, maybe we put, maybe we should pay attention to the women's game." And they started putting their resources in it, started putting the support. And I think today, then you have, you know, what's happened to the collegiate game?
0: They helped change the trajectory of women's basketball in America. It led to more college opportunities. It led to more opportunities playing overseas, and it made playing women's basketball in America a reality. The Women's Professional Basketball League became the first professional basketball league in the U.S. in 1978. Uh, And they would later fold in 1981, uh, but the league ultimately led to the Women's Basketball Association, which lasted from 1992 to 1995, which led to the ABL in 1996, And that led to the WNBA, which launched in 1997, uh, which is still standing to this day. Now you have women's basketball as a viable career. And you can thank the amazing women who stayed in that cramped flat in Montreal who made history at the Olympics and changed the women's game forever. The 1976 US Olympic team was recently honored in the USA Basketball 2003 Hall of Fame class. This is an honor that they truly, truly deserved. If you wanna learn more about the 1976 team, you can read an entire book dedicated to it. It's called The Inaugural Ballers, the true story of the first US women's Olympic basketball team. I'll link a copy to that book in the description. And if you're wondering, Um, I do not get any sort of kickback from if you purchase this book. Um, I just want to share the knowledge about uh, this team. And and I think this book may be useful um, for folks who want to learn more about this amazing, amazing team. And before we move on, um, let me know what you all think about the 1976 women's team. Had you heard of this team before? Uh, Did you recognize some of the names of the players who played on this team? Uh, Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Um, And if you liked this profile, uh, be sure to make sure to like this video. Uh, It'll really help to bring more people to to this channel. And uh, stay tuned next week for another edition of In the History Books. All right, y'all. The NCAA season is fast approaching. And I have a couple of updates for you you can call her Coach Ryan. Former number one pick in the WNBA draft, Ryan Howard is joining the Florida Gators uh, coaching staff as an assistant coach, as well as the team's director of player personnel. And if you're wondering why Florida? Well, Ryan does have a personal connection with Florida, uh, even though she played at Kentucky. Her mom played for the Gators from 1987 to 1991. And she still holds top 10 rankings in career uh, steals as well as field goal percentage for the Gators. In a statement, Ryan said, when you really think about it, everything is full circle. My mom was a Gator herself and I have been on this campus multiple times, but to actually be able to wear the orange and blue, I know it's making her proud. I know it's making everyone who thought I was originally going to be a Florida Gator proud. I always knew at some point I would have the connection back with this school and just to be here and to be loved and to feel how much of a family it is already just confirmed all that. Now the Florida Gators getting Ryan Howard to join their coaching staff is a huge deal because you have a person that players look up to uh, help coming in and helping to elevate their game. She's in charge of, of player personnel and um, she has a career that a lot of the players are probably looking forward to, to, to trying to achieve. And so having a player like her that can kind of speak towards you know her college experience uh, when she played for Kentucky and um, what it took for her to get her game to that next level to be able to compete in the WNBA, I think that's huge for this Florida Gators team um, and is a big pickup. Gators head coach Kelly Finley-Ray said that Ryan is living many of our student-athletes' dreams. Her knowledge of the game combined with her ability to teach and connect with them on and off the court will elevate our program. While I am not surprised that Ryan is going to be a coach, uh, an assistant coach for, for a college team, I am surprised that she will not be joining Kentucky's coaching staff and now we need to scheme against her former head coach. Both Kentucky and Florida are in the SEC, so I think those games are gonna be very, very fun to watch. In other news, fellow number one pick Aaliyah Boston is also making some noise. She has a new job, and this one does not involve her going overseas. The Indiana Fever's Aaliyah Boston will be a studio analyst for Big Ten's women's basketball games this upcoming season. The studio show will air on Peacock and Aaliyah will be paired up with Megan McCowan as analysts, while Carolyn Mano will be the host of the show. Now y'all, this is a big gig for Aaliyah Boston and something that she is totally prepared for. She graduated with a degree in mass communications from South Carolina. And also if you watch any of Aaliyah Boston's interviews, you can tell that she is great in front of the camera. It looks like Aaliyah has already started at the Big Ten saying on Twitter, so blessed another door that God has opened. So very, very exciting news for Aaliyah Boston. As you can see on the screen, here are the games that she will be covering uh, starting on January 2nd when Iowa plays Michigan State. Now for those who want to see Aaliyah do her thing, uh, you can. The only thing is you have to make sure you have Peacock. Uh, Peacock is a NBC streaming network uh, and you can get a plan on Peacock for $5.99 a month. I personally don't have Peacock right now, uh, but I likely will get it in January to be able to watch these games. Uh, I am for sure rooting for both Ryan Howard um, in her success as an assistant coach and Aaliyah Boston as, uh, in her success as an analyst. I'm rooting for them to be successful in their new roles, Because overall, I think this is great for WNBA players to have opportunities in the US so they don't have to feel like they need to go overseas and play. Yes, they can go overseas and play if they want to, um, but it's good for them to have opportunities here um, so they can decide to stay here and still make some money um, during the off season. So uh, very happy for both of them. Let me know what y'all think about um, their new roles in the comments below. And even though uh, those were technically NCAA updates, uh, it was still kind of about WNBA players. Uh, So I do have one more update for you um, related to the NCAA. Uh, Former Miami guard, Haley Cavender, uh, one of the Cavender twins has some surprising news. She wants to play college basketball again. She has entered the transfer portal and will now be available to play next season. Now y'all may be a little bit confused about this announcement because in April, Haley and her twin Hannah announced that they would be forgoing their fifth year to retire from college basketball after helping the Miami Hurricanes reach the Elite Eight this past season. And it wasn't just that they announced that they were retiring, they did it on national TV, on the Today Show. But since then, Haley has had a change of heart, and on Friday, she posted this video on TikTok with the caption, See you next season, year five. Her agent told On Three, as a businesswoman, she's excited to see what type of opportunities there might be in the portal. She misses basketball more than anything in the world, and as it approaches another season, even more so. She's going, she is going to hop in the portal. She's 100% making her return to college basketball. Now, ever since NIL became a thing, the Cavender Twins have been some of the biggest paid athletes in the game. They have 4.5 million followers on TikTok, and they signed with a bunch of brands, including Victoria's Secret Pink, WWE, and Champ Sports. Last year, Haley started all 35 games for the Canes leading the team with 12.2 points a game, 4.9 rebounds, and 2.5 assists. She also led the team in minutes played and also three-point percentage. Returning to Miami is an option for Haley, uh, but we will see what happens. Um, And again, this is just something that Haley is doing by herself. Hannah is not returning to basketball. In August, the twins talked about their initial decision to leave college basketball, um, and it's clear that Hannah was done with college basketball and that's why they left. Uh, but Haley, she was kind of holding on and she and she seemed like she missed it in August when she was sort of talking about it. Yeah, I think that
4: it's hard because we came off such a if you guys followed women's basketball, we played we minutes to the lead eight. That was Hannah and I's goal. Um, and then. Obviously, Hannah didn't want to play, so she made me quit basketball. Like, genuinely, she we got in a fight. If you guys really want to know the teams, I can. I'm going back. And she's like, I'm not going back. I, Sorry. I, I am not doing it anymore because... Uh, <laughs> the two-point comments that are still going on in the two minutes, Like, it, I was done.
0: I wish Haley the best as she figures out what school she wants to go to. Um, she's a pretty solid player. Um, so it's not like teams won't want to pick her up. Uh, she was a huge reason why Miami made it to the Elite Eight. She was their best player. And I'm sure uh, she will be making an announcement sometime soon, um, letting us know what team she selects. Maybe she heads back to Miami, or maybe she goes somewhere else. I do know one thing. Um, She's a solid basketball player uh, that had a very good basketball career uh, with Miami. Um, Of the two twins, Haley was the better twin. Hannah was okay, but Hannah didn't really play that much Um, and when she got in the game she just wasn't as impactful as Haley and so I'm very happy that Haley is going to going to be able to get back to the thing that she loves to do which is play basketball this is going to be interesting because this is the first time we've kind of seen the the Cavender twins kind of split and do something separately Um, they'll still be working together on their business um, with like the the different deals that they have with with different brands Um, but it's going to be interesting to see Haley on the, the Miami bench by herself, uh, without her, her sister with her. Um, but yeah, that is the update guys. Uh, do you, do you all even know who the Cavender twins are? Have you followed their game at all? Um, when they were with Miami, uh, let me know your thoughts about her, uh, wanting to return back to women's college basketball. Uh, and where do you think she's going to go? Let me know in the comments below. Now on to the final NCAA story of the week. Caitlin Clark, will she or won't she? And I'm talking specifically about will she or won't she return for a fifth season next year. Well, she's not sure yet. She said, I'm going to go based off my gut. At the end of the day, that's the biggest thing that I think I should trust. I'm going to know when I need to know if I want to stay or if I want to go." Kaylin Clark is the biggest thing to ever happen to Iowa women's basketball. And she has been a total box office player on the court. And she's really become a beloved Iowa figure off the court. And really all across the country, she's been a beloved figure. Uh, Kaylin Clark was recently interviewed by Stephen A. Smith during a Iowa homecoming event. And here's what she had to say about her influence.
2: About you. I talk about your greatness as a player, but people who know you talk about your greatness as a person. And especially when they talk about you and how you've really, really been on this mission to influence a lot of young lives, particularly a lot of young lives in regards, in regards to females. I want you to speak to that for a second. And what kind of responsibility... Are you so willing to embrace and why are you that way? A lot of people might run yeah. from that responsibility. I think you th- never have.
4: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I feel like I was just that young girl that dreamed of being in this moment. Maya Moore was my favorite player growing up. She played for the Minnesota Lynx and not only was she a great basketball player, she was a great individual um, and she could score the basketball really well. That's another reason I really liked her. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I feel like I was just in their shoes. I was that young girl that dreamed of being on this stage and, you know, being able to be a role model. I feel like a normal person. I can, I'm always going to take five seconds and take a picture with somebody, take an autograph with somebody. Um, you know, I feel like that's kind of my duty, but also people like to say I'm the face of of college basketball, women's college basketball. Um, you know, that's that's something I embrace, something that's special to me. And if I can continue to move the game forward, not only basketball, but women's sports in general.
0: So how exactly is Caitlin preparing for what may be her last season with Iowa?
4: How are you approaching like the year in terms of life not just the basketball i mean if this is your last year like tell us how you're going through your day-to-day here yeah i think the biggest thing is i'm trying to soak in every single second is i don't want to leave this place with any regrets because there's not going to be another moment in my life where i'm sitting on stage with stephen a mark and all of you it's packed all the way out there um, so this is really special for me. And I mean, this is my home state. It's something I'm super passionate about. Whenever I decide to go, it's gonna be hard to leave, but um, I'll, be, I'll be sure to always come back and enjoy this. So, um, you know, I'm really lucky that all of you support women's basketball in the way that you do. It's really special to us and it means a lot. So thank you.
0: Now guys, let me know in the comments what you all think Caitlyn will do. Will she leave or will she stay? At this exact moment, I think she's gonna stay. Uh, but you never know what can happen. Um, and I think it's possible that the draft order might actually influence her decision. It's clear that if she gets in the draft uh, this upcoming year, she will be the number one pick. And it just sort of depends on does she want to go to whatever team has the number one pick is the question. And also a side note, as many of you all know, me and my mom went to Iowa's game yesterday. Uh, where they played in front of 55,000 fans on Iowa's football field. To watch coverage of that game, you can click on the video right up here. All right, guys, we talked about a lot today. Now let's wrap up with a little bit of overseas talk. So last week, we talked about the Turkish Super League, Turkey's number one basketball league. And this week, we're going to talk about EuroLeague women. EuroLeague Women is the premier women's basketball competition in Europe, featuring the top 16 teams from all around Europe. The league was launched by FIBA in 1958 as the European Cup for Women's Champion Clubs. Long name, yes. (laughs) The league was rebranded as EuroLeague Women in 1996 um, and has seen 14 different clubs win the championship since it was rebranded. Last year's winner was Ferner Banche of Turkey. Now, EuroLeague is where the top WNBA players go to play. For example, in 2009, you had players like Dinah Tarazi, Sue Bird, Sylvia Fowles, Lauren Jackson, and Noel Quinn, all on the same EuroLeague team. And that was Spartak. They won the championship that uh, that year. By the way, of course they did, because look at the look at the names of the people that they have on the team: Diana Tarazzi, Sue Bird, Sylvia Fowles, Noel Quinn, Lauren Jackson. That's a huge lineup. You talk about the super teams now. That's a, that was a super team. That for sure was a super team. Um, and in 2016, you have Brittany Griner, Emma Mieseman, Diana Tarazzi. Christy Tolliver, Diana Nolan, and Sancho Little on the same team. They played for Ekaterinburg e- that year, um, and they also won a championship that year. Now you may remember uh, that this is the same Ekaterinburg uh, that gave Diana Taurasi 1.5 million dollars to sit out in the 2015 WNBA season. More of the story is some of these EuroLeague women's teams have a lot of money to spend, and they are not afraid to spend it on WNBA players. You talk about this year, uh, being a super team with the Liberty and the aces. But if you go back and look at some of these EuroLeague women rosters, you can really see what a super team actually is. <laughs> um, there's no way that, um, you know, the Ekaterinburg rosters of the past or the Spartak rosters of the past would have flown in the WNBA. Like it, those are super teams, they really were. All right, enough super team talk. Now let's talk about how EuroLeague women actually works. How does this league work? Well, um, before EuroLeague's regular season commences, they have qualifiers where six teams who are sort of on the bubble to making the league. Uh, they play against each other to see who actually is going to make the, the regular season um, for EuroLeague. Uh, this year, the qualifiers are played in a home and away series on September the 20th and the 27th. Teams are paired up uh, with the winner of each pairing advancing to actually make the regular season. Uh, the losing teams move down to compete in Euro Cup this season. Now Euro Cup is Europe's second tier league, um, and both leagues are ran by FIBA. So the, the the bottom three teams move down to Euro Cup, and the teams that actually uh, the three teams that won in the qualifiers they then move to actually be a regular um, uh, team during the regular season. Now the 16 teams included in this year's Euro League Women's regular season are listed on the screen. I'm not gonna say those names because they are gonna be way too hard to pronounce. um, And I don't want to severely embarrass myself. Uh, These teams were divided into two groups. um, And during the season, they will play within their groups round robin style. At the end of the regular season, the top four teams from each group goes to the quarterfinals. And something that's a little bit different about the quarterfinals is that it's not a one and done. It's a best out of three format for the quarterfinals. The winners then move on to the final four and then the semis and then the final. EuroLeague started their season on October the 4th. And so far, the top players include Caleb McBride, Nafisa Collier, and Emma Miseman of Fenerbahce, Cecilia Zandalicini, a 27-year-old Italian player who has been very, very good this season so far, She's averaging 16 points a game, 8.5 rebounds, and 6.5 assists. Now, fun fact about Cecilia is that she had a very, very short-lived stint with the Minnesota Lynx, and after only playing three games in 2017, she became a WNBA champion. Ezie Magmagor of the Seattle Storm is having a great uh, start to EuroLeague as well. She's averaging a double-double with 19.5 points a game and 14.5 rebounds. Former UCLA Bruin Kennedy Burke is also having a good start uh, with her club. She's averaging 25 points a game, 5.5 rebounds, and 3.5 steals per game. Uh, Kennedy was drafted in the WNBA in 2019, and she bounced around uh, with Indiana, Seattle, and Washington. And she was not in the WNBA this past season. Now, keep in mind that these are the, the player top players so far, but we are only two weeks into the season and have a lot more of League to go. The quarterfinals will start in February. All right, guys, so that has been your overseas update for the week. Uh, let me know if you are following EuroLeague this year and what teams you are looking out for. Um, also, let me know what you think about Europe's version of super teams. Uh, let me know your thoughts about that in the comments. Also, you can watch um, some Euroleague games on YouTube. Um, I'll I'll put a link to to where you can go to find find those uh, those games uh, in the description of this video. And again, as the weeks go by, um, each week we will talk and explore a different overseas league and or overseas players who are just killing it. All right, guys, this just about wraps up today's episode. I hope y'all learned something that you did not know beforehand. Uh, Let me know what you learned or at least what you found interesting in the comments below. Um, Also, if you have suggestions about future episode features, let me know. And if you haven't done so already, please like this video and share it with someone. My hope is to eventually make this the number one show for women's basketball. And I would love your help in getting the word out. Uh, Share this episode with someone who's a fan of women's basketball or someone who you want to be a fan of women's basketball. All right. That is it for this week's edition of Women's Basketball Weekly. Um, We are also now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you want to listen there, I will leave a link down below so you can click that and subscribe to the channel there. Um, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And until next time, guys. Bye.